Hey everyone, this is Matt Bell from Portraits the Podcast. I uh, just finished editing the audio with Buddy Wakefield. Uh, we talked a lot about boundaries, drugs, uh, and his now sobriety, uh, God, and life on the road, basically. And a lot about Shia LaBeouf, that's for sure. <laughs> um, he'll be touring the U.S. through December, and then he'll pick it up again in February and March. And then in April, he's going to take the tour of the Europe. So if you're in the U.S., see when you can. Uh, he's really great live. We saw the show the day before the podcast. It was great. Um, if you want to help out with the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash portraits the podcast. Uh, that just helps out with travel expenses, so I can hopefully start getting out of Ohio a little bit more and things of that nature. Uh, thanks for listening. Share and subscribe. You don't fish much. Mm-mm. What are you, gay? <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. If I ate fish, I would probably fish more. Are you vegetarian? Uh, no. You just don't like fish? Right. Oh my god. I mean, I was vegan for a year, but. Oh, I don't know fish. How, like, do you have a Sharpie? Hmm? Do you have a Sharpie? I do have a Sharpie, actually. Do you know where a World Courier is? Do I know where one is? Here's the deal. Find one. Here's the deal. You think you can find one. <laughs> I got. I have to mail something to South Africa, mm-hmm. and um, they said their mail system's down. These people, and that they need me to send it by a courier. Easy enough request, right? Mm-hmm. The fuck's a courier? It's not FedEx. It's not UPS. It's not USPS. And I googled yesterday. Nothing. Nobody knows what a fucking courier is, like except on a bike. What about pigeons? Carry your pigeons. No, no, it's too heavy. <laughs> uh, you don't happen to have a piece of tape, do you? That one I don't think I have. It's okay. I actually... Might. Oh, I wish I had tape. I would never fucking have this in my house. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Thank I'll you. clean off the toothpaste. I'm not a destructive man. I'm a considerate boy. <laughs> but you- no, no, that one has to be. That ha- it does. Yeah. Okay. You can, you can ex- look at the art out, but. Okay. I have to pee so bad. I know I'm holding things up. <laughs> All right, go pee. Um, no, let's take a few more. Okay. Uh, do I get costume changes? Sure. Okay. Tell me when it's time for a costume change. <laughs> okay.
Okay. Hold on, I don't want my shirt to be under my titties. <laughs> okay. <coughs> do I look awesome? You do. I don't want this thing to say hotel art in every photo, though. Oh, it won't. Okay. But, uh... But it yeah. is pretty prominent. It's... I it's did there. I, I didn't make a... I didn't make it secret. <laughs> Certainly not secret. Did your wife like the show? She did. She uh, We worked 10 hour shifts. Uh -huh. So we actually worked that day. Oh no. And then went straight, pretty much, we went home. We're supposed to take a shower, but we had a doctor's appointment. Yeah, we're sleepy. So, yes. Um, uh, where do y'all work? Uh, Whirlpool. We make dryers. <laughs> yeah, super I, exciting. I would have been able to do laundry at your house. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you literally make dryers? Yeah. No, I mean Whirlpool does, but are you like the people who are in the thing making them? Mm -hmm. Manufacturing. Both of you? Yep. Is that where y'all met? It is. That's how y'all are still there? Mm -hmm. Does it pay good? Yeah. It's paying the bills? Like 21 an hour. How long have y'all both been there? Five years. Do you feel like I'm closed off right now? Off? Yeah, like a little bit. Like, was that better? <laughs> Spread the legs a little bit more. Okay. There you go. Okay. Don't take that. Don't take that. No. Okay. <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> oh, man, good, because I need at least one good contemplative. <laughs> podcast while we're doing this? Uh, yeah. Are we recording right now? <laughs> we might be, yeah. No. <laughs> okay. This is going to get heavily edited, yeah? <laughs> it can be. <laughs> it, usually we, I take anything out by request. But you're not just going to play this. Yeah, this is it. There's no questions? I mean, there are. Like, I have one loaded for sure. Uh, I'm a big Sage Francis fan. He just got married yesterday, or this last week. Really? That's what I was going to ask you. Like, not if he got married, but... Well, I just like, saw it on Instagram this morning, because we, um... Uh, oh, wait, I haven't let you ask the question. <laughs> well, I was just, uh, like, are you close, sir? No. Because I heard, um... So the first time I ever heard you would have been on Human Death Dance. Yeah. And didn't know. And then... 2009, I was kind of six year relationship ended that I was a part of. Uh -huh. And when that ended, it was not pretty, obviously. Yeah, because six years is a long time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, someone introduced me to hurling crowbars at 
Close. Everybody, Clearly. it's okay. Because it's, it's messed up. Do it. You got this. Wearing mocking bars at Crowbirds. No, Crowbirds at mocking bars. No, yes. bars. Crowbirds at mocking bars. Hurling. Hurling Crowbirds at mocking bars. Nailed it. There it is. Seventh try. <laughs> like, yeah. I know I'm going to mess it up. Yeah. I already tripped over my words <laughs> enough, and now this is backwards. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Sage and I have a mutual friend uh, named Lee Adams and uh, Sari, Sari, Sarah Inkimo Coleman. Mm -hmm. And Sarah did the cover art for Human the Death Dance. And um, when I go over to tour UK, um, Lee drives on that side of the road because I've never gotten that down pat. In fact, um, he. Yeah, so he started driving in 2007 mm -hmm. uh, as a really kind gesture. Um, and he's now one of my closest friends on the planet, and Sarah as well. So, um, And I know Lee and Sarah keep in touch with Sage and B. Dolan. Uh, and so I just saw pictures of B. Dolan having a good laugh at Sage's wedding. And, uh, and Sarah said it was... Uh, Ex indicative of the whole weekend that it was just a really good time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But we don't stay in touch very much. We're good. We're we're good with each other. Um, but we didn't get married <laughs> yet. If this one fails, I'll go for it. Well, Sage, I don't know if he has the best record. The best track record? Yeah. For uh, marriages. Marriages? In relationships. Oh, um, would you get that from his music? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess he intimately opens that up, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. There's actually, uh, he was doing some banter with a crowd and, uh, was talking about how it pretty much almost ended his career when he got back together with. Uh, one of the girls that he wrote, um, <laughs> what were the tracks called? Some of my favorite tracks. Agony in you? No. There's like, uh, oh, I'm not going to remember That's it. That's alright. But it's like, uh, they're basically like letters he wrote to her. Have you seen that, uh, that poster that's being sold, of? Uh, Ranking hip-hop artists by vocabulary. I have, actually. It's pretty with, awesome, yeah? Yeah. So he's just like number four? Mm-hmm, he's on there. Um, I think it's a fantastic poster. So I think Sage is, uh, yeah, clearly one of the best writers uh, in hip-hop that existed. Um, and also live performers who I really fucking appreciate because I don't have to throw my hands in the air. I, don't have to do a, I just don't have to do a bunch of shit. Like, I get to just enjoy the energy and the lyrics right. and the music. Um, yeah. I was... It, that was 12 years ago, that tour. And I was... Uh, my social anxiety was rampant and I was... Uh, not in a very secure place. That probably wasn't very easy to be around. <clears throat> probably is not even a necessary word in that sentence. <laughs> and uh, I, I, uh, I was not comfortable. I was not a, uh, yeah. 
I wasn't getting what I needed for myself, and I didn't know how to ask for it. And so then it just emanated from me that I was a dissatisfied bitch. <laughs> He don't got a good song out of it though. Oh yeah, he wrote a song about you, <laughs> Mr. Buddy Buddy, where he where he uh, uh, takes it upon himself to talk about my body image issues <laughs> and and pretty much anything else he wanted to, which which didn't it didn't all tie together very clearly for me. Like some stuff he just took poetic license on, I suspect. Um, and uh, yeah, that was what that's now been ten years. And I never acknowledged it <laughs> until right now. It's, I mean, like on record. Um, but I know that sometime this year on Twitter, somebody posted lyrics of mine. Uh, and tagged Sage and B. Dolan on it. Like, Sage and I are good. Mm-hmm. I'll never not love Sage. Um, I'm more embarrassed about how I showed up than anything. Um, but, uh, you know, B being, Bernard being totally loyal, just had so much to say. And uh, anyway, somebody posted, tag, tagged them quotes of mine on Twitter. <laughs> and it was the first time I think I've even acknowledged Bernard. And I replied all, um, thank you, B. Dolan. Dolan's butthole gets so wet when you tag him on my quotes. <laughs> and here's the deal. B, Bernard responded and uh, in good humor and said, I'm glad you're still out there doing your thing. And that felt nice after a decade of just knowing that <laughs> fuck him and fuck me. Yeah. So this tour, this is your what show? My what show? How many shows have you done this tour oh, so far? Oh, uh, <laughs> No, I can't get it in the shots. Yeah, it's so for you. It's Oh, this tour. Because it's a long tour, yeah. It's real long. Um. So it's, I've been out since October 10th, and now it's the 12th. And I've probably done, I don't know, this is maybe 20 or 25. No, it's probably about 20. So you're doing different from what it seemed like last night. I don't know if it was a stage thing, but it seems like you're just kind of picking whatever you want to do every night. Yeah, but it's largely been same start because I'm really stoked on my new work and I really like the order of the first three or four specifically. I'm in love with that new piece about my cousins. Yeah. It's good. Thank you. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we're expecting, I don't know if you noticed last night, uh, but uh, it's like a selfish part of me that is super excited for this kid because it's like I'm 30 now and I used to be super creative and I feel like I feel like with kids, it's pretty much exactly what your poem was about, was how like they see things so differently and through without any filters, and they notice things that like you remember noticing, but you don't anymore, 
and it kind of drives me crazy that I don't remember those things anymore. Right. So I'm like super excited for those little things and those little like when Avery blurbs. like when Avery picks up the handful of snow after yeah. her dad asks if she wanted a snack and says, "Dad, we're in the snack." It's so good. <clears throat> it's a true story. I think actually the whole the whole Joe and Avery thing is true, and I just did Dallas. Uh, with Ebony Stewart and AJ was there. The kids weren't able to come, but uh, the parents of Joe, and, the parent of Joe and Avery, was there. And uh, the great thing about him, if I could expound on that, he's my best friend in college, and uh, he's a introverted, largely avoidant man. Um, but he's not afraid to worship in his own way, mm-hmm. like we are. Uh, we both, this is true, we both got uh, saved uh, by Creflo Dollar um, at Black Gospel Church. And um, uh, we were both, like, in college, philosophized a lot about God. And uh, despite AJ's sh- shyness, and he's just not afraid to worship. And it's, uh, it's so f- fantastic to me. <coughs> Excuse me. Um... But he was at the show listening to the poem uh, about, you know, where it mentions his kids. And then, you know, I start to really dive into the love toward the end. And he just, at the Dallas show, he just had his hand up. Like he was, uh, like we were back at Creflo Dollar. And it made me so happy from the stage. So happy. Not because I need people to praise me with their hand. But because AJ's so unafraid to worship what he finds uh, love in. So, saved, are you still religious? Sage. Saved. We're going back. Oh, saved. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever get your question out about Sage? No. I just sort of, I just sort of summed up, <laughs> summed up why I don't, why I wasn't at the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was good. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Just, uh, if I was, because I know he lives kind of by his own set of law, so I wasn't sure if those were sampled or if that was an actual collaboration. Uh, no, no, that was a collaboration. Um, well, me being on the album, mm-hmm. so it was, gosh, I guess it was both. I was, I mean, I recorded it at his house, and then he put it on there, sampled the conversation we had. Um, and the poem, uh, Human the Death Dance, is one that I wrote in my head uh, I have uh, a memory skill, um, and I spent two weeks writing that poem in my head. It actually never saw paper until it really? went to the book. Yeah, that's insane. It, it was <clears throat> because I was supposed to be meditating eleven hours a day for ten days at a vipassana course, and instead, <clears throat> I I had had a I had had a dream, which I write about in the new book. Actually, uh, I had a dream, and started writing the poem that day. And didn't stop the entire time I was at the Vipassana course. Wow. Um, and I mentioned that dream in this book. I don't call it out as the one that started Human the Death Dance, but it's uh, mentioned in a piece. That pr- it's called Before Fealty, and it precedes a piece called Fealty about my attraction to Ramzan Kadyrov, <clears throat> who is the president of Chechnya and systematically kills gay people. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, so, that ain't funny. It's a masochist But, yeah, clearly, <laughs> yeah. clearly. Um, the book largely unpacks masochism, 
And uh, it's nice. Gosh, I want to go back to your question about saved in a minute. Okay. Um, but to finish this thought, what's nice is um, just last night, and I think, and this is the post I, I, I will probably make today. Um, somebody is telling me that they were trying to protect me when I came out to them. <clears throat> they're, they're, they were, they were, they're basically defending their reaction okay. on the way I, on the way they reacted when I came out. And they were using Rock Hudson as an example that uh, he hid until after he was famous okay. so that he could still accomplish his, his goals. And this person was telling me <clears throat> that they were just protecting me until after I had made my way. Which is, which is heroic, <laughs> you know, which is a convenient post, you know. Yeah. A nice, a nice revised history. Thank you for being keen enough to get that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I, so I put the word "hid" in quotes and said, "This might be where suicide comes from." Um, put me back on track. How did I get here? Talking about human death dance. Oh, man, you're everywhere, though. <laughs> uh, you're coming out. Your friend was protecting you. Yeah, it was about Ramzan Kadyrov. Oh, oh this is where I was going with it. Is that it's nice for me. This what this book accomplishes as I move on to the next chapter is that uh, regarding hid, and that might be where suicide comes from. Is that there's uh, being having nothing to hide anymore is one of the loves of my life. I'm so thrilled that uh, yeah, masochist uh, did all the drugs, <laughs> uh, was shitty, was awesome, was. It's it's like in in the in the if I may quote my favorite poet. Um, uh, everyone found out everything we were ever terrified of being found out about and no one was impressed with our nightmare um, that's been a lovely thing to come and to realize yeah uh, it's just like being gay you know like being suicidal over being gay all those years when I came out nobody gave a shit which was kind of insulting. <laughs> Nobody made a production of it. Well, I had to come out to my mom twice, but otherwise... Twice? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first time... Um, didn't take. The first, no, the first time I didn't take, because <clears throat> she's a... Uh, yeah, she was really convinced that it was a choice. Um, I'm going to leave my mom alone right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the thick of it, and... And uh, so it's heavy in my mind that I could spill the beans too much. I'm going to leave her alone. Um, okay, about being saved, though. Yeah. Once saved, always saved, dude. Yeah. Fucking good. <laughs> going to heaven. <laughs> oh. Oh. Ask me a specific question about, though, so I can unpack it. Uh, okay. Mm. Do I believe that that really happens? Do you believe that 
the Bible is the word of God? That's a fantastic question to ask me in the place where I am now. I want to speak really carefully. What I want to do is say what I believe uh, overall, and then I want to come back to that question. What I believe overall is that God is every single thing happening at once. Nothing excluded, not one molecule. If anything gets excluded, it's no longer God. Similarly, if not identically, this moment is everything happening at once. If anything gets excluded, one molecule, it's no longer God, uh, this moment. So, this moment's God. That, uh, that's really obvious to me. And in this moment, um, everybody's story is right. In fact, I posted that on Facebook and someone posted, you're wrong. And I, and I replied, <laughs> and I replied, you're right. <clears throat> so I believe, I just believe everybody is right. The whole story is right. It's all happening. It's very real. Even the stories within the stories are right. Yes, reptilians, yes. Uh, fucking unicorns, yes. All of it. It's all right. It's okay. It's all the story. The Bible is the word of God. You are the son of God. I am you. Everything is one. It's not just a Bob Marley song. Currently, we are in this moment apparently experiencing these bodies, these masters of limitation, which uh, largely operate on time and uh, which largely creates suffering through craving and aversion and these sense doors that we uh, have, these five senses, and um, or six if we include the mind. And um, But there is a point of connection in, in everything. Well, you know what? I'm going to go back and quote <clears throat> my favorite poet again. <laughs> uh, when dude says, put it in God's hands, and dude says back, we are God's hands. I absolutely understand these bodies to be extensions of God for us, which is us, for us to experience this form, navigate all of this, uh, go through this, uh, you know, navigate suffering in through it, find sustainable joy. Um, I'm a little tripped up right now because this is so important. I want every word to come out correctly and eloquently, and I recognize that that's not my disposition today, but uh, that's generally where I'm at. I know that's a little all over the map. But yes, to answer your question, I do believe the Bible is the Word of God. Do I subscribe to those words? Uh, the moral compass of uh, I subscribe to a certain moral compass that's within it and the love that it intends to be rooted in, uh, uh, in regarding Jesus um, who's obviously a fantastic dude yeah um, but yeah when I go to the what I, what I subscribe to more than anything is presence Eckhart Tolle <laughs> The power of now, a new earth, the uh, Vipassana meditation with no guru worship or um, 
idolatry or rites or rituals, just the observation of breath and sensations without reacting in order to stay present, come out of habit patterns and blind reactions. And uh, that's what's in my 45 years of seeking his work to alleviate, or not alleviate, eradicate suffering at the root level. <clears throat> and it's a graduation, it's not a gradient, it's, it's, it's gradual. Um, but thank God it gets better. Man, I wish I could tie all the loose ends I just left. Like I wish I had them on a map in front of me. Did it leave anything? Did it leave any questions for you? Um. So, life after death. Then, if we're all whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, that's already happening. Right. It's all happening. Arrival does a good job of the time-space continuum situation. But finish the question. So, if we're all the same existence at the same yeah. time, yeah. then the end has really already happened. Yeah. Yeah, it, oh, and that was one of the connections, was that, you know, there. yes, I am you, you are, you are me. Thank God you're dealing with that, you know, you're dealing with that body because I'm super fucking busy with this guy. <laughs> um but ultimately, when these bodies dissolve, which they will in a really gross way, actually, <laughs> you know, it's going to be you and me are the same. Like, that's where the whole no eye comes from, the essencelessness, uh, which I'm stoked on because I haven't totally wrapped my brain around it yet as a recovering narcissist. <laughs> Fucking eye. <laughs> I mean, it's really apparent that... uh I'll just speak for myself, though. I think it's true of everybody in their in their own degrees that uh, we are champions of exercising trauma and navigating suffering. Um, or maybe not champions at all. Maybe real... I don't know. Getting... The whole goal is to just navigate it. And get better. And get better. I have a friend, Ani DeFranco says, um, if you're not getting happier as you get older, you're fucking up. And I, I feel like I'm not fucking up at this point. I could sleep more for sure, exhibit A. Yeah. But uh Yeah. I generally feel like I've I've been writing to my ideal self all this time and I feel like I've been filling that guy's shoes fair enough. Long way to go. I, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't know how. I, I don't know that I can qualify as a long way to go anymore. Boy, I'm sure stumbling around today. Ask another question. <laughs> Do you want to go pee? No. Hey, but life after death, did I let you get the whole question out? Um, I think you answered where I was going with it. Like, if we're all existing now, then they're really... Life after death's already happened, so... There's no... Yeah, and it's already happened in the, in, the, in the best way and in the worst way. It's happening right now. And as far as the worst way, that's just not where I live. Um, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So anyways, people really call me an old soul. Um, I didn't get a kick out of that last night. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so, like, uh, I don't know exactly who, who you are when you say that. Uh, I think there probably in every show there's somebody who who has to step back when they hear 
my imitation of people who think they're notes. So, um, and I love the, uh, I've also loved talking about people who start their Facebook posts with, I am humbled to announce. Because <laughs> it's the stupidest sentence. <laughs> I do want to go pee now. Do you want me somewhere else? Yeah, I was going to see if you wanted to move around a little bit. I do. Um, I suspect there's only so many you can take with the green. you get an angle where it's fat. <laughs> yeah? I have to tell you, I fucking hate burnt orange. I hate's a strong word, but can I? Right, this is gonna be. It's worth a painting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Matt Bell. Mm -hmm. I get final say on all this shit, right? There's some incriminating evidence happening in my delirium today. I mean, there's some really... There's been no paperwork, so this is all honor system. Were you a Cub Scout? I was not. Okay, so now, now I, don't feel, I don't feel entirely secure right now. I need people who can do Scout's honor. That wasn't. You gotta thing. work your way up. It was Bear Cub Weeblo, which is a real unfortunate name. <laughs> Weeblo. And then Boy Scout. Yeah, I never made it to Boy Scout. You got what you need on this one? Yeah. And do you wanna. Let's try to get on the corner here. Okay. I'm trying to get you away from the walls. You want a banana? No, I'm good. Okay. You eat one though. Gotta keep those potassium levels up. You do. Derek Brown has a potassium deficiency. Tell your fans that. Who? Oh, I publish it. He's also one of the best spoken word artists on the planet. Oh, yeah? Derek Brown. Derek Brown. Is he the one that you said directed your video to? No. No, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's Jamie DeWolf. This corner? Yeah. Boom. It was Jamie DeWolf. He used to go by Jamie Kennedy. He was in the Suicide Kings. He, um... 
Derek is the founder of Right Bloody Publishing, and he's a poet who tours with comedians. Eugene Merman. Um, I think he's got the first and only spoken word album on Sub Pop. Anyway, that's some cred. Street Pop? Sub Pop. Sub Pop? Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Man, age is real. <laughs> Sub Pop. Um, when, during the Seattle... When were we born? 90. Yeah, okay, 92. When Seattle scene blew up. Uh, Sub Pop was a dominant record label. That's where you're from, Seattle? Yeah? Not from. I was there for 17 years, but I grew up mostly in Texas. Texas. Yeah, I got that from the... But, uh, your album, there's an intro where someone says straight from Seattle. So I was like, you must have lived there for a while. Oh, that's Mike Bongiorno, who was the monitors guy for Ani, the Franco... He would introduce me every night, and we're still friends. He, uh, he also he worked for the War on Drugs, and uh, right, anyway, he um, I love the War on Drugs. That's why I mentioned it. I feel like they are. Uh, I feel like Bruce Bruce Springsteen had cool kids, and became the War on Drugs. <laughs> um, Mikey Bongiorno is who introduced me as from Seattle. <clears throat> so, city to city, just you and your tour manager. Which is me. Which is <laughs> you. Yeah. And then you just... It's, like, it's, it's... Oh, sorry, go ahead. You just meeting up with people from every... State that you hit, or is there a break for? I've actually looked at like all the tour schedules, but is there like an intermission at some point? Mm -hmm, there's a couple. This was two months straight. I started off with Andrea Gibson, Ebony Stewart got in on the third week. I'll be in it for the last month and a half by myself. Uh, as far as meeting up with people, it's just not, it's just organically what happens, whatever happens at shows. I've been doing it for long enough that there's friends everywhere. Um, I'll stop December 15th for a couple months when I'll end up doing, uh, finally doing the Northeast. And uh, over to Europe and UK through May, March through May. And then plenty of months off until September through December in Africa and New Zealand and Australia. So what's the recharge regiment for that? Like, uh, is there something in particular that you look forward to? And yeah, I'm in L.A. I'm in L.A. to make it happen. No bullshit. That's what I moved there to make it happen. I've got my ducks in a row. So I'll just be writing, I'll just be on writing projects and writing stuff that I want to act in and uh, showing up and I know that there's a door open for me and as long as I show up and write quality stuff that yeah there's nothing stopping me so I'm excited to be there but I'm also excited to give due diligence to this book uh, I'm, that's why this tour because my highest excitement right now is 
touring this work and getting it out there. And uh, the great thing is I have permission. You know, there is that open door in L.A. and the person behind it is uh, has made me feel encouraged and confident and great about leaving Los Angeles and putting on pause in order to give this book due diligence, enjoy the tour, and know that there's something waiting for me when I get back to L.A. It's stoked on. So, are you allowed to talk about anything that you're writing for? Or is it just all personal stuff that... I'm also happy to finally... Uh, I'll talk about what I'm writing in a second. Um, I'm happy to be... I've been doing this 18 years. Uh, I didn't do it the smartest of ways by doing it by myself. I didn't delegate and get a lot of help. And that's, there's been pros and cons and blessing and curses to the whole thing. Um, there was a moment recently when I uh, watched Ron Jeremy's documentary. It's fucking depressing. Don't watch it. Um, but I just watched this this lonely guy traveling around doing shit, mostly himself. And, uh, you know, as a recovering narcissist, I, I you know, anything I'm watching or, or listening to, I'm, I'm seeing how it relates to me. And, uh, I was just watching it and I was getting in the worst place and it was big inspiration for me to finally be done with this tour life. It's been, you know, it's been an enviable career and, <clears throat> I've got to see the world paid by poetry. Uh, but also, I've had, you know, people passing by for 20 years um, with buying homes and having babies and getting married. And not that I was exempt from that. I mean, there was a, there was a, great, there was a great run there, but stability and routine continued to be attractive to me to some degree. Um, Yeah, at least the financial flexibility and mobility are now very attractive to me because uh, I don't want to be trapped in this cycle of touring. I want to tour and I'm excited to, not because I have to. And this time I'm excited to. The last time I had to. Um, and that's fucking traumatic. Whew. Well, there was a lot of story that came with it. But it's in the new book, A Choir of Honest Killers, which you can get at buddywakefield.com. That's not true, actually. you got to get it at rightbloody.com. Um, what I'm writing on in L.A., for L.A., in L.A., for, what it, for, for me to hopefully get out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first poem I did last night... Well, I'm writing on a screenplay with Lane Stroud, finishing that first. Um, yeah, that's about... That's just about friends. That's about friendship. And, uh... Safety. And how... Yeah, not ever having it. And then having it. Um... She just texted right before we started, actually. Uh, and then what I'm writing is quite likely going to be an extension of the of one of the main two main characters in that story um, based on the first piece you heard last night it was called The Actor where it starts out uh, 
in the seventh grade, Jimmy Morin shoved me up against a brick wall, held his arm across my throat, and told me that if I didn't give, excuse me, and told me that if I didn't give him 50 cents a day for the rest of the school year, he would beat me up. I got a boner. At least once a week, I would miss payment on purpose, but Jimmy never beat me up. His integrity and business sense as a bully were very bad. And then, you know, it goes on to talk of the, the actual screenplay. Uh, uh, basically, the main character tracks Jimmy down <laughs> to pay him. <laughs> and Jimmy becomes unnerved and uh, can't shake the kid. Um, but this is just the childhood story of a big picture, which goes into adulthood and then old age, and it, and it, and it unpacks the systemic um, aspects of uh, well clearly based on my experience um, of an overcompensating gay dude with masochism which is fucked up because you hear you have a masochist who's rode bulls in the rodeo and trained to fight and and nobody wants to fuck with it so it's hard to find a partner that way <laughs> you know that's that's underselling myself quite a bit but um, there's been great love in my life and uh, I know that that's an infinite resource and I can attract whatever I want um, but yeah it does make it tricky for me to show up uh, in a way that's not confusing <laughs> Especially for others. I think, correction, I didn't ride bulls in the rodeo, uh, like, professionally. But I was the president, ready for this? I was the president of the Christian Cowboys Friends and Fellowship Rodeo Association in college. And I was riding bulls um, there. Uh like weekend clinics and stuff. Um, that, was, that was sort of my last ditch attempt to not be gay, which is about the gayest thing I could think of to do. <laughs> Become a rodeo cowboy. Yeah. We've been the one rodeo. Looking back, it's atrocious treatment on the animals. <laughs> it's just fucking awful. And now I just kind of root for the or the horse to win. <laughs> that was, you said college? Yeah, so I'm just thinking about, uh, go ahead. When did you start writing then? Writing, oh, uh, uh, W-R-I-T-I-N-G? Mm -hmm. In seventh grade. Seventh grade? That's the first I can remember. Really? Yeah, it was, uh, there was a, an instrumental song on the B-side of Motley Crue's Shout at the Devil cassette tape. And please, I wrote... Please tell me you remember some of the lyrics. No, I remember some lyrics to the first... I remember the lyrics to the first song I ever wrote. But in the seventh grade, I wrote... I just was inspired by this terribly dramatic instrumental. Um, and then... I wrote a, a, a short story on lines notebook paper about being the only white kid in a Mexican gang, which absolutely wasn't true, but I was just in love with this Mexican kid. Um, 
I don't know about in love, but um, infatuated. Uh, may or may not have been Jimmy Moore. Fucked <laughs> 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 up. Um, nothing to hide. Um, what the fuck was I saying? Oh yeah, I got so distracted by that truth. Um, You're out there, Jimmy. Oh, it's fucking hilarious. I just have to bookmark this and say that at the end of at the very end of the book, the last thing it says actually is uh, something along the lines of everybody in this book. Uh, like you know, we tried to use real names where possible, and everybody in this book whose name is used under weighty circumstances gave permission. And the last words are, except Jimmy Morin. <laughs> but, you know, like, fuck him. <laughs> Bullying little kids. Um, <laughs> so, uh, oh, writing. So, after that, I remember writing a fantasy, like a rhyming pornographic fantasy thing that I read to my cousins and it made them laugh. Um, and then after that it was just songs. This really... I had a really bad moniker in high school and I would write songs and poems and mostly songs uh, in easy rhyme patterns like Leonard Cohen. Um... I was really jealous of Leonard for a while because I felt like that's so easy. I already do that. <laughs> but now there's a deep respect, obviously. I mean, it's fucking Leonard Cohen. Uh, and I don't have that... That... Ugly bone in my body anymore. Um, there was something I wanted to tell you about about the writing though when you asked if I oh the memorization of the first song so I got a guitar and I did the whole college acoustic guitar thing <laughs> and I wrote a, I had read a poem or a short story about Richard Corey Ed Robinson, a guy named Ed Robinson wrote a story called Richard Corey, and Richard Corey walks around town with a smile on his face, and at the end of the poem kills himself. Like, the whole poem's about how happy Richard Corey is. And then at the end of the poem, he kills himself. And in college, that was my story. You know, like, that was my, that was my dramatic identity. And um, I wrote the Richard, uh, Tired of Just Looking Alive, the Richard Corey story. I think was the name of the song. I don't know. It was some big Fiona Apple length song, and um, title, and uh, it went in the belly of a king, a dog's eye view, and I'm convinced that uh, dog's eye view got their name from that. <laughs> um, in the belly of a king, <laughs> I'm also convinced that the California lottery got live for a living from me. Oh, and I'm also convinced that the woman who just wrote the article called. Uh, Oh, oh my God, it's so funny because she just adamantly denies it. <laughs> her exact title of her article was, I didn't mean to make such a production of the emptiness between us. No. Wait, it's from Hurling Crowbirds at Mocking Bars, and it's that long of a line. That might be it. 
Uh, oh, no, no. It's, it's, here's, here's the title of the article. This is an apology letter to the both of us for how long it took me to, to let things go. And that just happens to be the exact title of our article. Anyway. Uh, in the belly of a king, a dog's eye view, strapped to your side, I change with your moods, numb black and blue, you never even knew. I asked 99 bottles of beer what to do. No, you don't know, it seems. You wouldn't even leave me alone in my dreams, Ed Robinson. I read your poem, and no Richard Corey didn't do it alone. Tired of just looking alive, though I walk with a smile. Uh, that's the first verse through the chorus, and I don't know if I remember uh, the rest. Tired of just looking alive, though I walk down the street with a smile. Uh, Yeah, no, I don't. I'd be searching for it now. That was that was it, though. That was, I guess I was 18 or 19. And uh, Cannonball Man happened somewhere around then, and that was the first time I... Really? Do you know that one? Yeah. Cannonball Man happened sometime around there in college, too. And I remember the first time I read it to anybody was still my great friend Tiffany Hill. We actually dated in high school and then came out to each other later. But, um... Uh, Tiffany, I met it to Tiffany and a guy she was dating named Dean who was awesome. I wish I could remember Dean's last name. Everybody loved Dean. And I had written Cannonball Man. I said, guys, you got to hear my new piece. And I, and I fucking did it with all the, all the excitement in the world. And it was uh, just because I wanted to say the motherfucker line. <laughs> now that motherfucker was ready to explode. And I remember Dean and Tiffany going, yeah! <laughs> I was so excited about that poem. Oh. I can't believe you wrote that when you were 19, you said? Yeah, 19 or 20. Oh, no, 20, because in the poem it says I got a 20-year story still to be told. Um, yeah, yeah, and then uh, a lot of that stuff was younger. And here's the thing, because I had played it on guitar. So I had started an open mic night at a coffee house in um, Huntsville, Texas. Uh, and... One second. I started an open mic night at a college in Huntsville, Texas. I didn't want, um, and then I was such a mediocre guitar player and singer that when I found out about Slam after, just after graduating college, I think that open mic is still going by the way, but, um, I think it's being run by a guy named Ben Bell, last I heard. Anyway, I had heard about I'd read about Poetry Slam, and was so excited that I no longer had to torture people with my guitar playing or singing, because I always just had confidence in the words anyway. You know, that's just the only thing I was ever secure in, were the lyrics. In any regard, like, that's just the thing I, I always knew I could do. Like, I would say, like, five times throughout my career, somebody's made some shitty comment about my writing. You know, like on MySpace, I remember somebody wrote, Buddy Wakefield's writing sucks. And I just, I just went, you know, I just looked and went, oh no, that's not true. <laughs> like, it's just the one place where I've carried security. So when I found out about um, Slam, I was so excited to just rock my words and not, um, and not have to play anything or do anything. Um, yeah. What the hell was I, I was going somewhere with that though?
Uh. You wrote. This, this is how you do all the podcasts, right? Like, they know we're moving around and doing other shit, yeah. and that's why distraction happens. Okay. All million of your listeners, correct? All million. Okay. That's uh, 2.7. 2.7 million? <laughs> A lot of Joe Rogan spillover. <laughs> Actually, Joe Rogan is going to be on next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You know there's no way I'm promoting this interview for you, that's right? Okay, yeah. there's so much incriminating evidence in this interview. You got me when I was just at my maximum sleep deprived. Uh, steer me back, though. We were talking you about... You wrote uh, Cannibal Man acoustically. Then you oh, yeah, so about... what I was saying was most of these things were songs first. In the beginning, most of it was songs. Like, if you've... I don't know. If you knew Cannibal Man, then you might have heard... Uh, a stretch of presence, which is the first thing I ever put out. It's an album in 1999. Yep. And, uh, like, there's a prime example of me being super proud of lyrics, being mortified by, like, marbles in the trees when I read it with an accent. You know, like, I like listen to it now. What the fuck are you doing, dude? Um, uh, but I'm still super proud of it. I mean, for a first time at 23, I, and just like this first spoken word adventure, I feel like I did something there. I actually like that album. Uh, you did Marble in the Trees twice on that album, yeah. Well, a yeah. Live version. There was you? a dude. It, I was. I was. It, I think I. I was twenty three, so there was definitely a bonus track hidden, mm-hmm. and that's where the live version of Marble in the Trees was. It was one of the first times I had performed, if I remember correctly. And on it's followed. It's preceded by a little ditty called Happiness, and. I don't know, I can't remember if it's on the album or not, but it was recorded opening for a punk band called Pink Chihuahuas. It was an all-female punk band. And the guy who was recording it, you can hear him say, and it was, it was, I don't know if it was a persona or my excitement when I started, but I just would fucking tweak my face out and be so into what I was doing. And I remember the guy recording it going, this guy's great. It's like a cross between... Tom Waits and Wesley Willis and dude I had such a spirit boner for I was so fucking excited that this guy had said this of me and things like that were the encouragement things like that are why I kept going um well and also AJ that we talked about who who uh whose kids are Avery and Joe and was at my show in Dallas he he was there for the first time I ever performed or did a slam and um and I remember when I walked off stage he was his back was on his seat and he was looking up at me. He had slid down and he was looking up at me. He was, dude, you found it. And I knew I had to. I feel like that's an arrogant statement, but it's the truth. I knew I had found what I wanted to do in that moment. There were also it wasn't a standing ovation from everybody, but there were two tables. And I know that at one of those tables were the promoters for the John Spencer Blues Explosion and uh, uh, Soul Coughing. Um, Whatever that means, that's how uh, they introduce themselves. Um, you know, that could have just been anything looking back now. That was 21 years ago. Um, but I love both of those bands, even though they did use the word soul in their title. <laughs> like, Dodie's fucking amazing, though, so he gets a pass on anything he wants to call shit. Uh... Yeah, so all that stuff was lyrics first. And then once 
I began to evolve in that community. Then I started writing. Um, you know, everything rhymed at first. Everything on that album is rhyming, is, is in that. Uh, one, two, one, two. I don't even know. I don't even know how to label poetry. I didn't pay attention. I got it. I was National English Honor Society and English Lit. Never wrote a Shakespeare play in my life. I have no desire to read Old English. Cliff notes the whole way. Can't tell you how to write form poetry. Can't tell you how to form dance either. Anything with form I have trouble with. <laughs> if it's mathematical, I prefer to just cut loose. Clearly. <laughs> as, as I leave crumbs of conversation for over an hour. Who needs structure? Who needs to, I, but let that not. I'm so thankful that structure exists and there are people into it. just whenever. I gotta go down to the car to get it. Okay. Actually, I can just wear one of these dirty ones. Tell me what time we're at. We are at 2.54. Okay. Anywhere else? Is this fine? This is fine. Okay. Portraits, the podcast? Portraits, the podcast. Oh, yeah, that's why I agreed to do this. Because of all the portraits I'm going to get. <laughs> I need to give my layout guy something new to work with. Because I think I've only got one shot that I like to use so far on this tour. So you got podcast guys all to get together and uh, agree to get long hair and wear them in a bun? <laughs> I think it was... Uh... I took a seminar and they uh-huh. suggested <laughs> the look. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't Joe Rogan's seminar. No. Um, but my 
clear glasses are in the mail. Okay. So I'm on clear flame. He's made it, huh? Yes. He's doing it. How long have you known about him? Joe Rogan? Yeah. Since Fear Factor, but... I got you. I got you one up. Oh, yeah? If you've never seen news radio... Nope. It's my all-time favorite sitcom. Uh, you can YouTube episodes, and it is Joe Rogan. Listen to this lineup. It's Joe Rogan, Dave Foley, Andy Dick. I uh, love Andy Dick way too much. You do? <laughs> I don't know why Good. I love Dick. Wait till you see him in this. He's uh, he brings he brought so much joy to my life through this character. Um, it's unfortunate the reputation he seems to have built, but I don't hold it against him, man. I think he's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, the show, uh, but who's the guy, uh, Rude, uh, Stephen Root, Stephen. Wright? No, Stephen no, no, Wright. no, 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 not Stephen Wright. That dude's funny, though. Um, the dude in Office Space, I believe you have my stapler. Oh. Come on. Root? Stephen Root? Steve, uh. I can see his face. There's... That dude, anyway. Um, Maura Tierney. Uh, 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 the whole cast is stacked. Oh, and Phil Hartman. Um, I don't know that one either. Really? Phil Hartman. Saturday Night Live. Got shot by his wife. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Okay. No longer with us. This isn't funny at all. I guess, I guess we can now. I don't know. It's not too soon. Um, Life of Superman. <laughs> uh, that's not cool. All right. Uh, news Radio. Joe Rogan's in it. Fucking awesome. Joe Rogan, it would have been Fear Factor for me, and then he fell off. I'm not a big UFC fan, and then he came in with the what was my first podcast that I heard him do? He interviewed someone that I was really into, and then the fact that it was like three hours long, I was like, yes, I need three hours of these people's time. So I would like just like look through the list and found everyone that he did that I was interested in and started listening to him. And now I listen to him pretty much every episode except for the UFC breakdowns. I like the UFC breakdowns Do you? too. Yeah. I do find his observational math impressive. He thoroughly knows what he's talking about. And I've been watching UFC since the very first UFC. And I still logistically can't always figure out what to do or what's happening. As in like a tactical mm-hmm. perspective. Like, you know, he, he can say next? he can he can be like, you just gotta turn into it. And I've watched it for twenty years and I so, and there's there's moments like that in specific moves, or you know, 
Well, specific moves, sure, but I can't name those specific moves or say how to get out of them or what you know what should be done. Mm-hmm. And after 20 years of watching, I feel like I should know a little bit more, and he just does. He mathematically can lay out what's going on, and that's impressive to me. Are you a fan of a lot of comedians? Within reason. Uh, I have a favorite right now. Are they currently making stuff? Mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot of hit or miss with this one. Um, but Bo Burnham is fucking brilliant. I'm so glad you said Bo Burnham. He, I saw, uh, it was his YouTube days, the, um, my whole family thinks I'm gay, was the first <laughs> thing I saw. And I was like... <laughs> I was probably like 15, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then it was like, he did new math, and I was like, what? Like, how is he making all these different connections so fast? And it was like, from then I was hooked. Yeah. Did you see his movie? Eighth grade? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's That's, that's part of the math that our, that's instinctual, that's intuitive, and uh, I have a lot to learn from it. Um, I'm excited to learn from it because I write to the absurd and then edit back. And sometimes in the editing back, my shit turns out more like, I don't know, fucking, I don't know. Uh, Just what Bo was able to do, what was able to do in that movie is take the formula, the, you know, basic script formula and make it fucking great movie uh, without me feeling like I was in the formula yeah and I need to get the formula down Other, you know I don't want to just be a collage like this interview I would I, I really am interested in Bo Burnham Paul Thomas Anderson people who can take the formula and hide it rock it yeah and just mask it thoroughly Uh, Bo Burnham, I, um, who else have I, I've loved Dave Chappelle's new stuff. Dude, so good. Really good. <laughs> and in fact, I've, I have forgiven, not that, who the fuck am I to forgive or not? I have let, I have not gotten clenched up about anything he's had to say. There was a moment... <laughs> When he's talking about the Michael Jackson kids <laughs> and siding with Michael Jackson, where I was like, "What are you doing? Like, where where are you, dude? Did anybody who's seen that documentary, if if they believe those kids were acting, I think the whole time space continuum needs to pause and give those motherfuckers an Oscar." Because I can't see how that would that that was acting. Those kids were, those kids got fucked up, and he was an integral part of their lives. Um, but I do love Dave Chappelle. Uh, who else have I seen that I really like? There's some who have just been missing me. I tried to like Bill Burr, and I can't. I don't know why. I can't. I don't. I don't mind him as a human. I just don't get. 
it. I'm missing it. My buddy just actually referred me to his new special that just came out yeah. on Netflix, and I watched it about halfway through, and I was like, "Can do it." Hell, it's not landing. For oh, me. there was somebody. There was an Australian woman in a like arena or a big auditorium that kept being recommended to me, and I finally watched it, and she goes off in a bit of an angry way about sort of the dance monkey of catering to people's comfort when it comes to her sexuality. And uh, I had a hard time getting into her comedy, but when she went off, God, I'm trying to remember her name because it's worth a watch. When she ended up going off on the audience and getting her point across, and it was very calculated, and I respected the shit out of it, um, I just watched Adam Devine's Listen <laughs> Adam Devine Do you know mm-hmm. From Workaholics I didn't get into Workaholics Yeah I, I'm sorry But I did <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love those guys And so I just watched Adam Devine stand up Just to watch it And uh Yeah he's He's So not okay That it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but I am on record saying the stupidest shit today. Oh. I was trying to think of other comedians that I've seen lately. I just saw Mark Marin live with, uh... I lived down the street from the comedy store in Hollywood. Really? So, the comedy store? Yeah. So, um, like, whenever family or friends come into town, I just... I just take him down there because inevitably you're going to see somebody famous. And uh, the guy who wrote 40-Year-Old Virgin, remind me his name. That wrote it? Yeah. No Judd Apatow? Judd, a- Judd Apatow? I did not know he wrote that. I think so. Um, That's probably right. But Judd Apatow, one of the guys from Workaholics, Mark Marin. they just had, you know, they were there that night. That's who... Was on the bill. Tom Green was walking around outside, um, and my cousin, you know, who's from Highlands, Texas, was like, "Holy shit!" All right. Anyway, me and her and her best friend sat. We just walked in. We were the first in there, so we just walk up, front and center table, and uh, front and center table gets the shit, you know, taken the piss taken out of him by the comedians. Um, and I think Mark Marion was like fourth on the on the list that night and all the comedians had already fucked with me I just have a fuck with face I think I've blinked in almost every picture you've taken today <laughs> it's a bright light uh, anyway Mark Marin came out and he looked down at me and he I don't even remember what he asked me or said but I just sort of dropped my head hopelessly and went off because <laughs> I'd already been fucked with that night by at least two comedians and uh Mark being the third and went oh sloppy second sorry (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was I thought he was fun to watch I uh yeah I haven't been able to get into his character on Glow have you seen Glow? okay people are loving it man and I still like him I just can't get into that character it's so uh I saw him what was the other one he did? It was on, it was on Netflix. Uh, 
It's about relationships. It follows like... I think the first episode is about a couple in an open relationship. And then the very next episode skips to a whole different couple. And then they all intertwine by like fifth episode. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. But he plays like a... A writer who used to be famous. He writes comics. Uh-huh. That's pretty good. Okay. But I'm not going to be able to... I don't remember titles, obviously. It's alright. Or names. That's my stick. It's a fag leather shop in LA. Rough Rider? <laughs> no. Okay, also. <laughs> rough Trade Gear. Rough Trade Gear? Yeah. <laughs> I had my... No, no. This is not a story worth telling. (laughs) (laughs) So, we weren't recording when we talked about Shy. Shy. I don't know how you say it. Shy LaBeouf? LaBeouf. LaBeouf? Oh, okay, you mean my husband. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what do you want to know? Oh, just, when he comes home, what yeah. what he eats, uh, like, what he, what nicknames he calls is me. Is he actually that ruggedly handsome? He actually is, yeah. <laughs> he actually is. Uh, Did you see Joker? I've not seen it yet. Are you excited to see it? Or are you I am, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. And if there's anybody who can pull it off, it's Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, who, who's going to follow? Who's going to follow Heath Ledger's performance of Joker? There's only one. There was only one possible choice. Now, you're familiar with like uh, constructed memories, or like basically made up memories. Like you think that you did something and you hardcore believe it, but probably didn't actually happen. Like they say, most of our childhood is just made up. Have you heard that concept? Uh, not heard a label put to it, but um, in the new book, uh, there's an entire piece called Strawberry that uh, talks about my second memory at three years old, and I was actually eight when it happened, and my mom had to tell me. <laughs> well, the whole, I mean, she told me before the book came out, like, the whole story's about her telling me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when Heath Ledger died, I remember being, like, the only one that could replace him was Walking Phoenix, and he'll never do it. And now I don't know if that's true. You know what? No, I believe you. But when I was a kid, uh, Ian Asbury is the lead singer of The Cult. And uh, the movie uh, about Jim Morrison from The Doors had come out. And I remember thinking Ian Asbury is the only person who could uh, ever take his place if that band would go on tour. And he did. Many years later. It's <laughs> crazy. I had tickets to see the cult and Lenny Kravitz together, and my mom grounded me. Oh, no. Yeah. Have you forgiven her? I've forgiven her for everything. I've forgiven... I think I've forgiven everybody for everything. Even even there, I feel pretty forgiven. It's just sort of like, you know, working out the kinks, saying shit I don't mean to say on a podcast. You'll probably see like 10 articles about it tomorrow. 
Oh, I've woken up to an article I didn't like before, for sure. <laughs> yeah? Uh, yeah, and it altered the course of my life. But I've talked about this before on podcasts and everywhere else, and it's all in the book. The, the whole plantation thing, do you know about it? Mm-hmm. Oh! <laughs> I don't want to tell this goddamn story again. But I agreed, I agreed to do one of the largest former slave... Pl- I agreed to do workshops at one of the largest former slave plantations in America. What I didn't know is that I had agreed to do workshops at one of the largest former slave plantations in America. And uh, it was with a friend of mine who's way more known. And so when the article came out, they made it look like we knew every detail of the venue we were at. And they talked about how the venue still did uh, tours uh, around the plantation and, and had, you know, pictures of the slaves on the wall with little placards that talked about how good the slaves were treated because they got showers and Christmas gifts. And uh, and then so it blew up online, and I had left my partner that day. And I don't mean, like, I left a boyfriend. I mean, I left my home landscaping company, Animals, who I thought was the love of my life, that day. Less than an hour earlier, and uh, um, and then uh, so my reaction sucked, which and it also revealed a blind spot, and it also revealed mm, some dubious behavior regarding not being liked on a wide spread, wide scale. Um, and uh. CNN called the next morning, CNN's raw story, <laughs> and, and then, then I think the day after that, or two days later, I was diagnosed positive, and then two weeks later, I had to move into a van or uh, airplanes for the next 16 months, 230 shows of a world tour, largely by myself, and uh, that's when I got back on drugs. Because <laughs> what else do you do at that point? What else do you do, dude? Uh, except meditate, which I did when it was all over. It was like the finish line. I, I knew I could never go back, and I had to run as fast as I could to the light, and I had to put in the work, and I had to accept it all, and that it was real, and that I had karmically provided these experiences for myself. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, the whole book talks about it. <laughs> So the book, the book is largely prose. It's half poetry, half prose. The poetry being informed by the prose, and uh, it starts there. It starts right there in the devastation and the thick of it, and it uh, works its way out into where I am now. And uh, you know, I think there's stuff along the way that's pretty surprising in terms of the frequent, specific serendipity, um, all the way through to the aliens. Yeah. <laughs> I scraped my chin on a bar of CrossFit yesterday. Doing CrossFit? Is that what you said? Oh, fuck, I forgot. I literally forgot in this moment that we were recording. And when you took that picture in the chin, I I figured that red, that pink spot's just poking right out, and uh, which is also weird to say without anybody having a visual. Oh, <laughs> my pink spot was just poking right out. 
Um, yeah, I scraped my bar. Uh, scraped my chin on the bar. And yes, I said I was a CrossFit bro. <laughs> I told you, overcompensator. No, at this point, it's all about, it, it's health. It's not negotiable for me. I have to stay healthy, especially on the road, or I'm fucked. And my mood, my mood is, yeah, I'm just useless when I'm, once I'm unhealthy. How do you do that on the road? I wake up. I go work out. I'll either go to a CrossFit, preferably a CrossFit, just because I'm motivated by classes and by people who are serious about their health and um, encourage each other and are not slacking and doing it. Um, and are, yeah, it's just fast. Uh, when that's not available, then I go uh, to the gym just to focus on specific stuff that could be improved on physically and. Um, and I mean that in terms of strength and not, you know, got to get a thick neck or sweet thighs. Um, <laughs> and then, so then I go, I usually go, like if I sleep in as long as I can, I'll go to the gym. I'll, I'll make, I'll call ahead and make sure there's showers there. I'll shower up at the gym, go straight from there to my car to drive to whatever the next show is. Uh, reserve a hotel on the way usually. Um, Try to get to the hotel first. Take a 20 minute power nap. I'm a pro at 20 minute power naps. Really helpful. And then I go to the venue an hour early. Set up the merch table. One of the quickest ways for me to go into a bad space is to have to set up the merch table when people are coming in. Like when, if somebody opens doors before that's done because I don't want to chit-chat before a show, and I don't want people perusing, and I don't want to... And, it, and I just don't want to be setting up my own merch table in front of people. I know that's diva as fuck, but I just feel like, you know, at 45, 18 years later, it's not something I want to do. Um, yeah, and then I go get what I need, walk around the neighborhood, have food, do the show, Try not to eat afterwards because I'm fucking famished after I perform, no matter how much I eat before. And, uh, but I don't love to eat at night um, just because of my genetics <laughs> and the cost of that. Oh. And then I, when I can, in all those spaces and after the show, I'm catching up on emails and texts and uh, getting better and better with no and not responding and prioritizing and uh, staying in my happy space and not letting the extraneous shit drag me down. Um, I've also gotten really good with boundaries. Like right now, there's three prominent people in my life, including somebody who's a best friend of mine. Somebody who's in my family. Okay, my mom. Um, <laughs> and, and, and somebody, you know, another great friend. And uh, I'm on tour two months. And it's not something anybody, like you can, it's not something people can imagine being on tour and that vulnerable without doing what I do. Plus, I do all the organizational stuff. So it's really important for me to stay eyes right. And uh, so I've got two months of three prominent, you know, three really important people in my life 
who I just had to set a boundary and say, you know, I know we've got some shit hanging over our heads about around our relationship, but I can't hold space for this, you know, for a couple months. Uh, so you just need to know I'm in it to win it with you till the end, and we'll work this out, but I'm not. And that's big for me as somebody who processes everything, but it, I have gotten to a point in my career where I must look out for number one when I'm on the road or it's going to be where it's not going to be what it needs to be to say the things that I say and deliver the message and accomplish the mission um, which is simply to hopefully point a finger in the right direction I don't think I can do that yet that would be really hard in what way? like uh, to have something that needs to be talked about to like my mom and then just be like as much as I want to hash this out like I just can't right now mm-hmm. and I w- literally won't be able to or else it will function until it happens yeah I know that's how happy I am about where I'm at now because I've heard about boundaries my whole life and I find them to be a really simple concept and I realized I had not been setting them and I'm really happy to be in a place where here's the deal no matter what we talk about, no matter how much shit gets put out there, the truth is, and this has been the truth from the get-go from, for me, I was a considerate boy, and I've never not been a considerate man, and uh, to, a, to a fault at times, and I know this about me, and I know that when there's a tense situation, if I've got time to come back and correct any of the tension I caused, to own it, to uh, provide space for someone to feel better, to take on you know more than my share at times um, I've never not been a considerate person intending to come from a loving place and it's taken me 45 years to just pause and go that's true and therefore you are doing the best you can do and any conflict with anybody worth you know their weight in a friendship knows this about me and uh, therefore this can wait especially when I when when the root of it for me is that because I do own so much in vulnerability the degree of vulnerability to which I swing out is, is far less comfortable for most people um, if it's a I'm usually willing to own whatever it is nothing to hide um, and to get better and see into my blind, you know, t- to open up the blind spots and be able to see where possible, take feedback. But if I'm in a situation where that person, the opposite person, is not able to do that yet, and it's st- st- stunting our friendship, um, this is where I'm at right now, and I need pause. And I'm really thankful to be in the awareness that I'm considerate as fuck. I know about ownership, I know my commitment to the relationships, and I feel so secure in that, that I am not in a place where I'm staying up late at night wondering, you know, if this is going to get fixed. It's going to get fixed because these are important people, and if it doesn't, then I really have done the best I can do um, by at least trying, you know, by at least owning what I need to own for the moment, trying to set the boundary, and saying we can definitely come back to this, but I might not be healthy on the road if I have to process all this now and have a back and forth because one email, one long email for for, for me to make sure that I've been careful with them 
eats up the 30 emails piling in from needy organizers. And, um, and I've, I just laid out my schedule and there's not much free time and it's exhausting. Like the, the littlest thing that, that sets me off this tour trajectory can be exhausting to jump back on track. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about being in this place in my life. And also, you know, I'm, I'm over three months sober now. I mean, I've, that's a, that's a, that seems like a young statement. I've gone years sober before, um, but that's not true. I've, only, I've gone a, a year being sober since I was 14. I've gone, you know, seven and a half months once. I've gone extended stretches of time. But this is the first time in my life where I have where I've declared I prefer to go the rest of the journey sober. And that was after this summer, which I went off the rails more than I've ever gone in my entire life. I was shooting up meth all summer, and which was really fucking fun, and uh, also incredibly suicidal. Um, uh, without admitting it, and I guess this is the first, that's the first time I've said it out loud, um, not intentionally suicidal, more like, well, I, wanna, I don't want to lose my place. I want to expand on that because I had five days off and I just decided I was going to go all the way down the spiral in that five days and then, uh, and then you know, be in L.A. But I had no commitments last summer, so that five days turned into nine weeks. <laughs> and, and all my savings and, and... You know the story. You've seen VH1 specials. And uh, <laughs> it's not even original. Where are they now? <laughs> in their apartment in L.A. strung out. But here's the deal. This is cocky but true is that I knew when it came to life or death I was going to choose life and that I have enough love and I've come down enough off of enough hard things. To I knew what I was in for. I knew the pattern of worthlessness and suicide <laughs> and the body's chemical reaction and I just knew I was going to work through it. And I know like three, two days into it, I, on day two I drug myself to a meeting. On day three I drug myself to the, uh, to the gym. Like there's been no stopping since I made up my mind um and when I came off of the meth knowing that uh knowing my addictive personality knowing the uh the extremes I put myself through the all or nothing knowing how good I am at navigating suffering and exercising trauma um when I came off meth this time I left myself wide open to listening and to uh receiving a brand new narrative and to never doing whatever was causing my addictive behaviors to constantly surface. And that's not something I necessarily want to try and put in words right now. But there is uh, uh, there are spiritual planes that I'm fully involved with and happy with and experientially participating in. And, um, and when I say experientially, that's the key word. It's not, you know, I can't convince anybody who's going to think that's wacky um, but that's what's happening for me and I'm really excited to let in the new narrative to let in the, 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 the fantastic information that's been coming in which is a lot lighter and less heavy and transmutes density and feels fantastic and I'm also really happy anyway in all that gosh to bring it full circle sorry uh, is um, in that new narrative is me realizing that my consideration is a bit too giving and that takers will take it's what they do um it's not even personal they're just takers and i just in a place where boundaries are righteous and uh 
I le I've learned, I'm, I know how to set them kindly and not be a prick about it. And I also know when I, you know, I've done all I can do to be cool in a situation. Otherwise, fuck off. You know, I used to have to, I feel like I've always, you know, just needed it to work, whatever it is. Like, I just need it to work, and I don't anymore. And that's been really, it's been really relieving. And, uh, yeah, we have Crystal to thank. <laughs> we have a so what I'm saying, kids, bender. if you haven't shot up meth, <laughs> you're for real true, you on the other side. But first you have to make it. <laughs> I knew the score. I knew what I was getting into when I did that. I knew I was going... I had it planned. I knew for, I was, exactly what I was going to do for five days. Um, I did not know what I was going to do for nine weeks. <laughs> yeah. But... Here we are. Yeah. Sober as fuck. That, Sleepy as fuck. Is that sober everything? Yeah. Well, I mean, ibuprofen... Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have, uh, I have Xanax on the road, and that's not from a nervousness of stage. It's from, uh, it's from a fear of not sleeping properly, because Xanax puts me right out. So I'll take a half of one if I've gone, you know, three days without regular sleep, and I have an eight-hour night ahead of me. I'll take a half of one so that I know I'm going to sleep the full eight hours, and my body will get the rest it needs. So, um... I feel like that's important to identify if we're going to talk sobriety because um, it's clearly an addictive substance. So um, that's something I keep in check. But I don't, I don't feel like I've ever had a problem with moderation on that. Um, my, yeah, my biggest, biggest motherfucker I come up against is... Crystal. Oh, that's a good one, but uh, food. Oh, food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm fucking overeat like a motherfucker, and I love food, dude. Well, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't, but... <laughs> now, you said last night that you did a... I can't remember how long you said it lasted, but you did a stint where you... I don't know if it was a vegan stint, or if it was just a dairy-free stint. Oh, I was just doing Whole30. What's that? I've never... Oh, yeah, it's like... It's like paleo and crack so it's uh you just there's nothing there's no, it's it's no processed anything whatsoever there's also no uh there's no grains no lactose no sugar added to anything it's just it's basically fruit vegetables and meat and s some spices and that's it not even like beans or rice or uh yeah it's all just to reset the body, um, to see what you may or may not be allergic to is how I think it originated. It's not what I do it for. I just do it to reset my body in terms of giving it a chance to process. Um, I don't believe that meat is easy to process, but I have my body did feel the need to ground, so I chose that one. Uh, and now I'm excited to wean back off meat again because I way prefer prefer it when I'm practicing vegetarianism for a number of reasons from meditation to um, the obvious which is uh, the fact that millions of animals actually weep before slaughter <laughs> every day I want to sleep well tonight yeah <laughs> yeah it's true 
I can't bear it. And Andrea and I were just talking. Andrea has gone back to vegetarianism completely uh, after simply driving by a fucking pig truck. It's just, it's just atrocious. Yeah, we, we've been on and off vegan for... I did a whole year, 2018 to this year, and then the beginning of this year, I was off of it, and then I I was trying to do like a fleegan thing. What's fleegan? It's like a, a free vegan, I guess. It's like a flex vegan. So oh, it's like well vegan, just... and it's like, oh, I'm at Thanksgiving, and right, 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 there's right. not enough vegan options, I'll just do it this time. Yeah, yeah. If you don't keep that in check, it spirals fast. You, if you don't, it does spiral fast. Here's the, uh, and especially if, if one has an out of control addictive personality, because what happens is, I would love to be that, frankly. Um, you know, I have a friend, Courtney Desmond, who I remember when we were young, she was a vegan or vegetarian, and she went to South America as, as, an, as, an, as a student, and uh, the family she was with it like she sat down it was before she was even speaking fluently there and she sat down and they you know it was all meat dishes and she was like you know it was either fucking she said it was just respectfully dive in you know think make whatever piece you have to make with it and dive in and uh if I'm in a moment where out of respect I, I, I don't mind it I, uh, I I don't feel abusive but um but the problem with with addictive personality, and I'll just speak for myself, is that uh, my brain goes. I think I was saying this last night at the show around the around the cheese. It was like, holy shit, cheese! Hurry, eat as much as you possibly can before you change your mind again. Yeah. <laughs> and so that lasts two years. Mm-hmm. Which it did. It did. When when I get, came out of that devastation that I was talking about, and I went into meditation, I committed to five tenants and was having the most sustainable joy of my life and was in love with absolutely everything about the universe. And uh, my, my satellite reception was so clear and uh, information was, you know, the serendipity was coming in into in, in, in such a degree that it was exposing me to what is beyond what I thought was possible uh, in in, re- in realistic terms and uh, it just all kept pouring in and pouring in and pouring in and I think I just fucking think my body wanted to ground or my brain wanted to ground me because it's just only, it's only been good at you know rising from the falls that I take for a reason to stand <laughs> Uh, the suffering that I'm good at navigating I don't know it just didn't want all that light at once and so I fucking ate a double cheeseburger and I didn't stop eating it for two years and and from there from that cheeseburger literally well fish is the gateway food to cheeseburgers but (laughs) because that's what I did but I then went into uh, bed and into Netflix and into ordering like it's LA I can fucking order an eighth of weed and all the delivery food in the world from any ethnicity from any restaurant (laughs) within driving distance of Los Feliz and yeah two years later like I would do what I had to 
But I also think there was a part of my being that needed to rest because I've been touch and go my whole life. My parents, my parents loved getting married. It was a pastime. They were both married four times, technically seven. Uh, but I count the my mom's third. And, and, and uh, we were just touch and go my whole life, and then I've been on tour the rest of the time. And I think my body was like, dude, eat the fuck out of it. Don't you dare feel shame. Rest. And that lasted for about five weeks. And then, then you know, the other year and 11 months, it was, started to feel it was shameful again because I just couldn't. Well, my brain was like, no, no, I know you, dude. You're all or nothing. And if you stop, you're not going to get to eat a burger again. Or you're not going to... You're not going to get to be a fleegan because that's not how you operate. It's all or nothing. And so the goal is balance at this point, which is what I'm feeling with these boundaries around the people in my life. And um, and I'm being on tour, I will acknowledge that the last three nights in a row, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I, I do enjoy being healthy. And I do, like intermittent fasting where my body has 16 <laughs> hours to process what it's eaten. And then I can just go for it for eight hours. I love that. But the last three nights I've been off that train. And uh, just eating Mondo amounts of food and watching Peanut Butter Falcon. And <laughs> pausing on certain moments with Shia LaBeouf so I can just stare at him. <laughs> <laughs> like just, I don't know if I've, Literally last night I was thinking, oh, this is how stalkers start. <laughs> I've never, I've never been so in love with an actor before. Did you start looking up to see if he lives in L.A.? Oh, you know I haven't. I know he, I think he grew up there. I think he's always been in the business, yeah. as far as I know. I'm very young age. Um, and he's got a movie about that, Honey Boy, and I haven't seen it yet. But um. I have felt bad because I haven't called Ben Foster in a while. But, yeah, he's just going to have to understand Shia LaBeouf's here now. <laughs> What's your favorite performance by Shia? But, oh, I thought you were going to say Ben Foster. Or Ben. Well, let me start with Ben Foster because that movie with him and his daughter living in the woods, have you seen it? Mm -mm. What the fuck is that called? Dude, it's so... It, it's, it's really a fantastic and beautiful film. And... It, it's recent last couple of years look up Ben Foster and uh, the one where he is basically a recluse in the woods and he's raised his daughter in the woods um, beautiful film and right now my favorite Shia LaBeouf is easily Peanut Butter Falcon and that's not just because I'm watching it right now uh, it's because it's he runs a clinic on what being a good actor looks like it's, it's a fucking incredible film I don't know if I've ever watched a movie with him in it that he didn't give an amazing performance. Yeah. I don't think he's ever let me down. Like, even Lawless. Did you see Lawless? He's a moonshiner. Him and Tom Hardy. Time out. Lawless, the one with Tom Hardy naked the whole time? Where he's the, he's the worst prisoner in history thing? No, 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 no. Lawless, where he's a twin of himself? <laughs> no. Uh, I know the one you're talking about, the first one, but I don't know the, the twin. Lawless is, uh, there, it starts, it's a Prohibition era film, mm -hmm. and they're moonshiners. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, Tom Hardy and Shia are brothers. Time out. <laughs> because I need to get a hand towel. <laughs> <laughs> 
Holy fuck, really? Yeah. Wait, did they wrestle in this movie? At there's some a, point? There's a lot of fighting in the movie. Like, there's a joke about the them cuffs. having an unattractive wrestling match or fight. Like, Oh, you mean in real life? No, no. Oh. I don't know, maybe. I just think there's a joke about them actually having a fight or a wrestling match. Maybe it's in this movie and people commenting on how surprisingly unattractive it is. It could very well be. Wait, you got to text me the name of it later, please. Okay, yeah. It's not like I'm not going to immediately Google it when you leave the room. It was on Netflix for a while, too. And it's no so, longer there? I don't know. I haven't checked, but I know it was on there at least a year ago. It was still available. I'm fucking into it. But they, they wean things on and off there. Netflix. Yeah, yeah. But definitely watch it. Lawless. It's good. It's lawless. I feel like I have to have seen it. If it has Shia LaBeouf and... But listen, again, in those two years when I was watching everything, I was stoned the whole time. You've probably seen it like three times and just don't remember. It's quite likely. Dude, I, I watched so many series, so many movies. You know, I've seen... Okay, here's, here's a really guilty pleasure. Really fucking guilty. And pleasure. Real pleasure. <laughs> uh, Survivor. I've seen every season, every episode... And I can't tell you who wins half of them because I just don't remember it. I've, I saw the first ten seasons of South Park and I just... I, I don't remember these things. I don't remember college. I don't remember... I don't retain information. And uh, so there's a good chance I saw it and I just have no recollection of... That's troublesome. And not... Yeah. You'll forget how troublesome it is soon. Yeah. I mean, I don't want early onset Alzheimer's, <laughs> but if I still have a sense of humor, then I think I'm okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm also, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even, something I want to carry on about. I don't even remember where I was going. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's contagious. Yeah. Alright, I want to get a legitimate uh, shop for, in case it's the website, like it doesn't have to have my face in it, but I do want a, the shirt, both the front and the back. Let's do it over here. shop in the 11th grade. It's a CD store. Uh, I was a re-delivery boy for the Seattle Times. 
legitimately read the livery boy. So like, I had a pager, <laughs> and and all day long, uh, it, like my only job was to receive pages by people who complained because they didn't get their paper, <laughs> and I would re-deliver the newspaper if the paper boy left them out. <laughs> oh. And then that was when I spent the most time on meth. Because <laughs> 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 it was so easy. <laughs> most of the time I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> Those but. delivery boys were really good. <laughs> they didn't miss much. Um, I was a candy maker in high school. I was, uh, there's been a lot of jobs. I was, uh, I played songs on the street in Amsterdam to pay for my, to pay for my hostel and food. I, uh, and, and, oh, I also made hemp necklaces, which paid for most of them. It gave me all all my spending money for the last uh, semester in college when hemp jewelry was doing its thing. I was really good at it, and I would in my spare time, I actually really liked going and collecting beads from antique shops. Like I would go and buy cheap necklaces and pull off all the rad beads. Uh, and so I would. Uh, that literally made me plenty of money for a while. I um, mean, I sold what was left of those in Spain um, to a store. I, uh... I did not like being a maid, though. I worked with really cool people. And we were cleaning upscale houses in Seattle, and I cleaned Jeff Ament's house from Pearl Jam. <laughs> uh, where there was a disturbing... I don't know if I could say this. <laughs> okay, but I will. Um, no, no, I won't. Yeah, I will. There was a... No, I won't. It was a window in a very strange place in his bedroom. <laughs> what? You know, I won't. <laughs> I will, I will, I will. There was... It's not a big deal. and it's, it's such a speculation anyways. There was a stained glass... There was a yellow stained glass sliver of window right behind his bed. And when I looked through it, you could see down in the bathtub. But his, in his defense, in his defense, it was just his place. Him and his wife, Pandora, lived there. And Pandora was fucking hot, so maybe, you know, it was just a thing they did. It could be. I mean... And plus for him to use it, he would have to actually run up to his loft when someone was, you know, in the bathroom. And he'd have to really want to see it. And then it would just be for like a second. So, and plus, people had to have known it was there. Because it wasn't a big place. Anyways, I'm defending him because I've talked shit on him now. <laughs> That's kind of, I wouldn't want people to say that about me. That was fucked up. But he does have a stained glass window looking at the bathroom, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, other jobs I've had. Oh, oh my god, I was, uh, there was only one period since 2001 where I have, where I had to make money other than poetry. And I was delivery drive. I was not delivery drivers, uh Demoing products at like Andronicos and Whole Foods in the Bay. What? And um, I think I would have lost my mind. 
Well, I did. <laughs> and, and uh, like, I remember one woman, I was demoing some sort of fruit dip, like some dip for apples. I don't know, some shit somebody invented for, like, 20 bucks for three ounces or something. And um, so I, I remember this older woman... with Jewish affectations generalized I'm being really careful she was a Jewish woman and she had the she had the uh, she had the the thing she had the accent she had the the uh, yeah she had who she was and uh, she wanted to know a lot about the fruit dip but she was looking at it like Lorraine from Mad TV she wasn't actually touching it. <laughs> she was, ah, hmm, well, and she was just asking all these questions. God, looks good, you know? And she just wouldn't, and so, literally, in my mind, I went, eat the fucking fruit dip! Because <laughs> she would not. And she was just talking to me about it. And I was out of my mind, and I was still, you know, drinking heavily back then, and I was hungover all the time and I couldn't I just couldn't be bothered with it um and I did that for several months I fucking hated that and I remember oh my god I remember this uppity gay couple who I knew and they saw me in a store they knew what I did like they knew Buddy Wakefield as on stage uh, I was only five years into my career at that point. And four? Five. And, um, and they were bumped. Like, they were like, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> I demo foods now. <laughs> but I had to make money. I was living on the road and staying with friends, and I just, it wasn't coming in at the time. And I was really embarrassed really embarrassed and I don't think I was embarrassed in that way that like I knew I knew I could do better was all I knew I could do better for myself is all uh, and that's not a rip on anybody who does it because obviously I needed to do it um, I was the executive assistant at a biomedical firm before before uh, uh, I moved into the car. I trained to be a dealer at a casino. AJ's dad owned it. Um, I have to take a lead. I was a poet for a living once. That was cool. That was really fucking cool. Where do you want me for this? That's what I was just trying to figure out. Sure. I want to... I want to get, get the lighting right, so I want to get... Lighting from both sides. I think I'm going to have to stand right between this divide.
Yeah, there's no way I'm going to the gym today. I'm only about eating dinner and watching Lawless. <laughs> and finishing the peanut butter falcon. Honey Boy's not even available yet, is it? I don't know. I just heard he was on Hot Ones. So go on. What does this mean? Hot Ones? Yeah, is this like a chip? It sounds else? fun, but okay. it's not quite that. <laughs> it's, uh... They get celebrities on and they interview them while they eat hot wings. Oh! They get progressively yeah, 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 yeah. hotter and hotter. He was on that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I gotta watch it. Do you know who my favorite was to watch on there? Hmm. Charlize Theron fucking rocks it. If you haven't seen hers, you gotta watch that one. I love it. I love her. Okay, you ready for me? Yeah. One second. Let me just uh, throw these back into shape here. I like that. I like watching that. Hot ones? Yeah, I've only, you know, I spent one night going down the YouTube rabbit hole on it for like, you know, four episodes or so, but I didn't see Shia's, of course. Well, it's very new. I'll need to see it so we can talk about it when he gets home. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, for promotion for butter, um, peanut butter falcon, and then he talked about the honey boy a little bit briefly. Yeah. And then... You know the real story... Like, you know that's based on... I'm yeah, sure it's I knew out. as soon as I saw the trailer for it, whenever the kid playing them does the Even Stevens jump, wearing his shirt and stuff. I don't know anything about it. You don't know Even Stevens? I'm looking forward to... I'm looking forward to that's a 90s thing. I we guess. got married before he told me about his history. Uh-huh. So I'm looking forward to finding out more. He's not home a lot. <laughs> He's very busy, yeah. Yeah. And I just sort of do what I'm told anyway. Good goddamn. <laughs> 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 Holy shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's that or not. I think it was just on Ellen, too. Yeah, my mom. Oh, God, no, I can't. <laughs> my mom just tried to convince me that when I came out to her and she was protecting me, she she was thinking about rocking Rock Hudson, and I know I brought this up earlier, didn't identify it, but here we go. Um, but she was thinking, of, she was trying to tell me that she was thinking about protecting me, and she was thinking about people like Rock Hudson and Ellen DeGeneres. And I had to. Because it hurt her career so bad. And I, well, no, no, it, it was that they waited until they waited to come out until after they made it, and that's what she was uh. hoping for me. But what I had to let her know was. Ellen DeGeneres didn't come out until a year after I came out to my mom. <laughs> History's so funny that way. <laughs> All right. Oh, where does it? Let's just try right here, like in front of this divide here. Is it all right, actually, the shirt itself? Okay. Yeah. I also do want to get the back when you're ready for it because it's got a pretty cool moment. Project Runway also. That's one of my guilty pleasures. I don't know that I'm guilty. I learn a lot from Project Runway. No, one of my girlfriends was obsessed with Project Runway. And when I first started watching it, hated it. But then... then, I started secretly watching it. Yes. Yeah, because it's not like, it's not a vain caddy one. Do you know what I mean? I stay away, I gotta stay away from that. Like in terms of that, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you what a, 
real housewife Kardashian even looks like. But on Project Runway, they actually bring their art to the table right. and have to take critiques on it and uh, get better and learn how to edit, which I'm obsessed with editing. It's actually responsible for my career because anybody can do what I do. I just edit the shit out of shit. Anyway, tell me a lot about editing. And I really, if you haven't seen it, I really like the kids' version of Project Runway because there's less bickering and more creativity. You can see that. Adults tend to get in boxes and bicker. They also hate themselves a little more than kids do. That's very true. I think it's about what you said, forgetting that you were there. <laughs> forgetting to pick up the snow cap and say, Dad, we're in the snack. You're right. It's very innocent. Their confidence is actually innocent instead of just hubris. You know what's rolling through my mind right now? Mm -hmm. As we take this merch Photoshop. Um, of all the shit that I've let fall from my mouth today, I legitimately forgot we were recording when I said I gotta go to CrossFit. <laughs> and I don't want that on there. <laughs> you don't want people to know that you CrossFit? Well, I just don't want it said the way I reminded myself out loud. It's not necessarily on my face in these. Yeah. And direct it if you need a better shot of like how it hangs. I mean, imagine I'm putting it on the site to sell. Uh, do where you pulled your arms forward again. I just said that she was a Jewish woman, I'd be okay, but I spent so long being paranoid about saying she was a Jewish woman. <laughs> she was a Jewish woman. She yeah. was very worried about the dip. The, the longer you dwell on it, the worse it's I know, I know, I know, I know this by now. Mama needs sleep. Blame it all on sleep. Not any sort of intelligence. Regarding the photos in the in the SD card, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how that shit gets sent these days. Is there? Will I get to just see a folder with all of it? Yep. Okay. I will. Uh, are you familiar with Dropbox? Yeah, I need to get. I need to uh, up my ante on that. I, I I tend to put shit in there and never look at it again. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to keep it on my desktop or something.
there anything you want that you haven't gotten? No. Okay. We'll Any questions you had that you didn't get answered? Nope. Tell me about this podcast. This podcast is very new. It's still in its infancy phase. What are we talking, 11 followers or 111? About 205. Okay. And we haven't had uh, an official release yet. Uh, we've done two um, like pilot episodes. Um, this will be our first actual launch where I'm committing to a season. I do six episodes one month, and uh, I really push myself to get them out. Do you um, know there's 12 months in a year? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> but if you're doing one a month, so it's just going to be like a six-month series, like annual? Correct. <clears throat> okay. But that leaves six months for people to wonder what happened. <laughs> well, they won't be continuous. Okay. Because there's going to be different people every time. Okay. So, um, but after the six, I'll see if I still enjoy doing it or not. Because right now it's just a passion project. Okay. Um, and then... Who are the other five people? We've got Shia. We've got Ben. We've got... Who else we got? On the podcast? Yeah. Oh, Joe. We got, we got Joe next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you're going to put me in touch with Shy. Yeah. And then I think after that we're going to go like... Tom Could you Holly. tell me how to say my husband's name? Is it Shy or Shia? Shia LaBeouf. Boof. <laughs> Nobody wants to say boof, but it's boof. It's boof. Are you? Are we positive it's boof? I hope so. <laughs> I feel like we need to find a video of him saying it now. Yeah. Well, to see who's right here. Okay. <laughs> I really should know these things. I'm going to be saying his name a lot. Listen, in seriousness though, I do feel like I need to plug the reality that Hubert Falcon, fucking amazing, and I haven't even seen the end yet. That's... Pretty high praise. That was funny. All right, I'm going to have you. Yes. Yep. Oh, that's the one. I'm gonna sell millions. Okay. Great. I've only got about 80 left. <laughs> so, it could be a problem, but promises, promises. We good? Yep. Okay. I guess, uh,. Our main option, if you need to eat before you leave, is Bob Evans next door. (laughs) 
Wait, no, it's a high. They gotta have something here. No, it's funny as that is. Uh, potato soup. Their cheddar potato soup from Bob's. Uh huh. This is a northern thing. We don't have Bob Evans's. Really? Yeah. So it's like a fake southern thing. Well, you could, are you I talking Seattle so. or Los Angeles? Or are you Both of those. Well, you know what? If we do have them, I don't fucking clueless. But I don't think I've had them in Texas, Seattle, Texas, Washington, or California. Um, I think they're regional. Uh, Midwest. What's uh? What's the other one? There's Bob Evans and there's Tim Hortons. That's also not in any of those places that I live. Um, Tim Hortons comes from Canada. Okay. That's where they're coming from. Okay. I just saw a lot of those too. They're pretty gnarly. Um, and then, but what is, seems to be everywhere, but only on, intermittently, is the most aptly named restaurant, which is Cracker Barrel. <laughs> a bunch of fucking old crackers. <laughs> uh, now, when I was a much younger, crackle bit, Cracker Barrel to me was fancy. Yeah. And then I went there and I realized. Not so much. It's not fancy at all. Yeah. Uh, they don't even pretend to be fancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be. Um, so I did eat this Bob Evans yesterday. Oh, you know what they don't have in the north that they have in the south? Well, let me finish my last thought, which was Bob Evans wasn't bad yesterday. Um, maybe because I was fucking starving. What they don't have up here that they have in the south, kolaches. Do you even know what a kolache is? No. It's like sweet bread wrapped around sausage and cheese or ham and cheese or it's just, yeah, I know. I love bread. Sweet bread, man. Bread is carbs. It's a, and it's that, it's that, it's the fluffy kind of bread that when you hold on to it, it starts to... Flake? No, not flake. That's we're, you're going croissant on me, but I'm going other direction. Like it's that kind of dough that it's it's soft and fluffy when it's heated, and then you have to fucking bite into it. It has just the right amount of thickness, and and the sausage is has been um, developed by scientists to have <laughs> exactly. Exactly what your magic needs. <laughs> What's this called? And cheese. It's a kolache. A kolache. So it's it's a Polish dish. <laughs> so, so you're saying? No wait, that's a pierogi. But, but kolaches. Oh, don't get me started on pierogi. Kolaches are legit. Kolaches are a legit thing. They actually have entire kolache shops in Texas. Like in every town, there's a kolache shop. Yeah. And if not, then you have to go to some fake ass shit like Shipley's. What's that? Shipley's Donuts? No, Cheer Wine. Cheer One. Cheer Wine. Cheer Wine. Go all the way down to Texas. It, is like it a, a wine place? It's like a. I'm gonna say it's uh, a Carolina's drink. Soda. Uh-huh. Big red, but it's called Cheer Wine. Man, I don't know nothing about Cheer Wine. Nothing about Cheer Wine. You get your ass to Myrtle Beach. I was just in Carolinas. Down through Savannah, down through Florida with Andrea Gibson. And then it's, you know, cheer wine. But we only shopped at Whole Foods. <laughs> Andrea can only eat tree bark. 
Do you only eat tree bark? They're allergic to everything else. <laughs> tree bark and grass clippings. <laughs> That's not true. Andrew eats now, more now than, than just tree bark. But it used to be on tour with Andrea was a hell of a thing to try and find dinner. <laughs> so you said when you announced this tour that it's possibly the last poetry tour? No, no. No? No, because I think I said that before. Yeah, when I, I, really I did see it. you say that. When I, I really meant it. When I moved in with Steve, I really wanted that mundane life, the stability and the routine. But I also, I didn't want to get a real job or have anybody be my boss, so I just kept doing poetry. Um, but for this one, it's not, that, it's not that I'll ever stop or declare that. It's just that this is not where my focus wants to be anymore. Um, I've accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in this, in this, uh, poetry realm. I mean, there's cool things that could happen. I don't want to limit myself. There's cool things that could happen, you know, opportunities, but I'm taking this guy as far as I want to take him here. And I really want to get to LA and focus there and have uh, get some more direct experience. Writing is that gonna extend to directing as well? God, I would love to direct. I really want to act. Excited to do that, but I want to write my own parts. I don't want to start like a minimum wage and be an extra and do extra work. I just want to fucking just kick it off with my own shit. Cool. Um, oh, we could have done this the whole time. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's alright. Um, directing though. I think directing would be a ton of fun, man. I feel like I would be a good director. Your truth be told, I've been hesitating and acknowledging that because my friend Lane, who I'm writing script with, she, that's her thing. Like, she really wants to be a director. And I, uh, and I moved to L.A. specifically to act through the serendipity that was going on, which I also talked about in the book, but, and why, why acting and um, so I don't want to lose focus of that, and I also don't want to rip, rip on Lane's dream, but I have found myself evolving into the realization that directing would be fucking fun, and I think I would be good at it. <laughs>